From one perspective, many may look upon God's dealings with the Israelites as harsh and unforgiving throughout the course of the Old Testament. Yet a more complete view reveals a God who repeatedly extends a hand of mercy no matter how far we stray. The call to repent and to turn to God has been echoing throughout the ages, pleading with us not just to listen, but to obey, and not just to obey, but to assist, for the prophecies of Malachi are being fulfilled before our very eyes. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. time that I really felt the Savior's love in my life was when I was going through some difficult health challenges as a child. And I remember one specific night I was in the hospital, and it was the first time that I was being left alone and my parents couldn't stay with me. And it was very scary and overwhelming, but I remembered how important the scriptures were. And I pulled them out and I started reading them, and I had this overwhelming power of warmth that felt like a physical hug, that the Savior knew that I was there, that I was scared, and that I would be okay. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us today. The topics for our discussion come from our studies in the book of Malachi. And the first topic we're going to discuss is, wherein hast thou loved us? And the second topic is, Malachi's prophecies are being fulfilled in the latter days. And to help us with our discussion, we want to first welcome back one of our scholars, Sean Hopkins. Sean, Hi. welcome back. It's good always to good you. to have you here with us. Thank you. Sean is an associate professor of religious education at Brigham Young University. And our special guest today, seated next to Sean, is Elder Richard Holzapfel. Elder Holzapfel, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be with you today. Uh, Elder Holzapfeld is a retired professor of religious education and in Area 70 for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so our first topic, wherein hast thou loved us? Where does this come from specifically in the text and what can we talk about it? Yeah, so we've got the verse, let's look at it. It's uh, chapter one, verse two. Uh, I have loved you, saith the Lord. So here's God, imagine God is talking to you and he's saying, I love you right? And they're like, yeah, do you really love us? You know, uh, that's sort of how this, this conversation goes. Uh, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? We, we're not positive that you loved us, right? And, and the idea is life is difficult. Life has challenges. And they're saying, well, if you really loved us, take away, you know, what, what's so going on? So they're kind on? of questioning mm-hmm. his, mm-hmm. Pro, uh, pro, I guess, a proclamation of love for them. Right. They're like, yeah. really? And imagine you're in a relationship, somebody says, I love you, and you're saying, eh, you know. (laughs) Now, uh, Richard, do you mind giving us a little bit of evidence? I mean, because clearly God loves his people. What are some, uh, what's some of the proof that Sean mentioned of of God's love for his people? Well, you know, the, the, the Hebrew Bible starts off with the idea of a fall, right? And the Lord promises to redeem the earth, to make the earth a beautiful place again, to redeem his people, to bring us back to the Garden of Eden. So he's chosen Israel, Jacob's descendants through Abraham, Israel to be the vehicle that will save the world. They'll change this planet, a new heaven, a new earth. But they're in trouble. They've been set on the lifeboat, but now the lifeboat's sinking. So he's gonna reach in to save them who are to save the world. So he does that by keeping that covenant faithful relationship. He reminds them of it. You've got a promise, I'm your God, you're my people. He keeps reminding them who they are. And then he actually intervenes in human history in many significant ways, sending prophets, sending righteous men and women 
to help bring this cause forward. And Malachi, my messenger, is another example of that. Thank you, I love that. So how has God shown his love for you throughout your life? Janine. Thinking about this Christmas time, uh, about three years ago, I had a granddaughter have a serious eye injury. A Christmas stocking ornament holder fell into her eye and um, severely damaged her eye. And we were very concerned and of course praying and asking for a Christmas miracle. And um, they thought her retina was damaged. And after a lot of fasting and prayer, uh, they found out it wasn't and she'd be able to see. And we felt like just overwhelming love from God and from all those that had prayed for this Christmas miracle. Janine, thank you for sharing that with us. You know, you talk about feeling of God's love. Is there a specific way in which you personally feel when God is expressing his love to you? I just feel extreme warmth and um, assurance that everything's going to be okay in my life, even if it doesn't feel that way at the moment. Um, Just overwhelming love, I guess, would be the feeling. Janine, thanks for sharing that with us, especially you know, as, we're, as we're focusing on Christ and God's love for us. What a fitting story. So one of the other uh, ways in which we feel well, that God shows his love for us is that every time I feel like when the Israelites turn away, they're, they're, he's constantly like, hey, come back, come back. And we have this theme repeated of, of the gathering. Uh, Sean, what can you teach us about the gathering and how that is an expression of God's love for us? So they have seen it miraculously. They, their fathers, their ancestors, but very recently have been carried away and then miraculously brought back. This, is, this doesn't happen. This isn't a thing. And, and yet for, they know. And so, so you might think of the way Book of Mormon prophets talk. Do you remember the captivity of your fathers? Do you remember what God has done for you? And, and doesn't this sound a lot like us, right? God says, I love you. And, and when he speaks that warmth to us, Sometimes we have a hard time believing because we're focused on on the challenges in our lives, but we've got to just remember, pause, and remember that God brings us back, that he restores us, that he gathers us. He did it for the ancient Judahites, for the Jews. He he does it today. This group is evidence of that. Um, And and he does it then in very personal ways, which, which is really beautiful, and also, in, in chapter two, he says, I'm gonna be like a refiner's fire, and that's another evidence of my love, and like a fuller's soap, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna cleanse you and refine you as in, because I, I value you, I care about you, and so there's the goodness of gathering, and then there's the goodness shown in the cleansing, refining process that we're a little less fond of, you know, but they're both evidences. And what great evidence of, of his love, you know, that the fact that he wants you know, you to be a part of that family. It really does, you know, go back to what we're talking about is this is proof. Yes, God loves you. Look at the efforts that he's giving. And I would love to hear from the audience on perhaps a time when you felt like you were gathered in and maybe a time of loneliness. Joy. So I I moved around a lot um, throughout the United States. And so I had a lot of opportunities to be in different family, um, word families and when I was in the, in the youth program, it was really hard because a lot of the areas had very small amount of youth. And um, 
I just remember many times where just families would come and sit by us and the programs of the church between the primary and the Youngman's and the Relief Society and all of the things that they have within those organizations that create um, moments of connection was a huge asset for my family. So now that I have my own family, I was a little nervous because I hadn't been in this kind of environment before and I was a little nervous of how it would go, but I was very humbled um, in knowing that you know, my ward family here could still be, you know, my family because my family still lives everywhere. And I just, I love being able to talk to my Relief Society sisters as they're my sisters. And just when they ask for something, instantaneously want to go help them because that's happened to me many times. Thank you. I just, I love hearing these examples of, of people being gathered and then it's like a domino effect. And it really, again, it just shows how much God really does love us. Mm-hmm. One other theme or aspect that is very well known with the book of Malachi is the, the verses about tithing. Can we make a connection between tithing and an expression of God's love? Because oftentimes I think we view it as I'm, we're being asked to give, but is there a way in which we can view tithing as how God is now using that to pour out his love upon all of us? Notice that Lord doesn't say, give me your tithes and offerings so I can take them to heaven and add on to my palace, okay? <laughs> I want your tithes to use among you mm-hmm. so that everybody feels we- welcome, that people are taken care of. It's for us. The tithes and offering are for us. He uses to build chapels where we meet. He supports the missionary effort that's trying to gather everyone. So tithing becomes this critical point of how. I mean, what does the Lord want to do? He wants to gather Israel again. Gather everyone home safely. How does he do it? Through tithes and offerings. I love that. You know, we had a question coming from one of our viewers uh, about tithing, but perhaps with a little spin on it, I want to get some thoughts from you. I want to get some thoughts from the audience as well on how we can help answer this question. Hi, my name is Chelsea Wenig, and I am from Provo, Utah. In Malachi 1, 6 through 14, it indicates that the Israelite priests were offering blemish and sickly animals in the temple in which the Lord had forbidden Why is it so important to offer the Lord our best offerings? And what are some examples of pure offerings in this day and age in which we can offer the Lord? What are your thoughts on that? So a perfect offering would be, I I accept this call to teach primary, but I jump in with both feet. I'm enthusiastic. I I want each one of these children to know they're a child of God and show them God's love. And so I'm anxious. I'm praying for them. I'm thinking about them versus, oh, I got a lesson this week. Okay and then check the box, I did it. Okay. And I think a, a great illustration of this, uh, this motivation concept is right there in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus actually, and I think he's sort of responding to this question in a sense, uh, what is a perfect offering and who does he hold up as the one offering the perfect offering? Not the, not the person who's casting in of his wealth, as, as fine as that is, depending on what's going on in his heart, right? but it's the widow, and I think we often feel like the widow, don't we? I'm never gonna, my offering's nothing. I make so many mistakes, I'm so flawed. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about putting the Lord first and giving our best, even in our weakness. That's the offering he loves. So how about from the audience, Carly? Um, For me, I'm the recipient of somebody doing it. Uh, We moved to the US a few years back, and we had nothing with us. But there was this family who were, was so generous, who provided everything, even to the rice that we needed. 
it was everything on the cupboard and, you know, just everything. And so for them, they generously gave it to us without asking anything back. And it was a blessing for both sides. I was blessed and they were blessed for sure, spiritually and temporarily. Carly, what made you realize that it was a pure offering, that their intentions were really good about trying to help you and your family? Well, um, I felt like they were not really asking anything for return. And so it was just a perfect timing for our family to feel the love and to receive temporal stuff as well from them. Carly, thank you so much for, for sharing that. The Lord is just looking for opportunities to, to bless us, to, to help us increase in, in whatever way. Sometimes it can be you know uh, monetary, sometimes it's spiritual, but that constant reaching out and expressing His, his love for us. And we have a wonderful quote by Sister Okazaki that speaks to this. And she says, perfect people don't need a savior. He came to save his people in their imperfections. He is the Lord of the living and the living make mistakes. He's not embarrassed by us, angry at us or shocked. He wants us in our brokenness, in our unhappiness, in our guilt and our grief. It reminds me of a friend of mine who described a time in her life when she'd just sort of become broken. Uh, there were some uh, things that had broken in her family and her marriage and the relationships around her. And she got to the point where everything felt dark to her. She just felt so broken and inadequate. And it going to church felt painful to her, like she was being judged. And even reading the scripture did, but she found one chapter in Isaiah, it was the, actually the thing that Jesus quotes when he's announcing his ministry, his Messiahship. And she, that was the only thing she could go to. And she read it every day, and day after day after day. And that was her imperfect but pure offering. And God used that to heal her. And then the time came when she could do more. And so to me, I think what God is doing here, he wants to open the windows of heaven for us. And, mm -hmm. he, and he says, you know, if you're, if you're sort of giving the leftovers in this relationship, that's not how relationships work. That, if you do that with a friendship, if you do that in any relationship, that's not gonna turn out very well. And again, this is about your health. That's not a healthy way to live life. And so be all in in this relationship and then you will just feel this, the blossoming of this Zion-like community that I'm trying to build and my relationship with you because I am the son and the son of righteousness, right? Great thoughts. Richard? Uh, uh, President Nelson has this really interesting uh, talk he gave in conference about shortcut phrases like the atonement, the enabling power of the atonement. He says, no, no, no. It's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who heals. We gotta always keep a focus on him. He is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And I'm so glad he, you added that phrase because we had talked about sun and the beautiful imagery of the sun, but what about this imagery of healing in his wings? And you just get this beautiful, you know, I think of sort of a dove, right? And this beautiful imagery that way, but then the shadow, the protecting shadow of wings, the comforting embrace uh, of, a, of a hen who's gonna gather her chicks under her wings, right? Well, and maybe we could talk a little more about that concept in footnotes as well as some other things, you know, because these books are so deep and there's some great insights and principles yeah, here. That's true. But thank you both for your comments. Audience, thank you so much for uh, your participation on our uh, first discussion topic, Wherein Hast Thou Loved Us?
The temple blessing that is most predominant in my life is knowing that I have power over the adversary if I keep my covenants. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges that we, we um, come upon in life and through keeping our covenants, through holding up our end of the bargain, um, we're able to access God's power and, and able to overcome any challenges, trials, temptations that come our way. I have ancestors that live in a different country and they haven't been blessed with being able to go to the temple. So I'm grateful that I get to go and do ceilings and baptisms and uh, just be surrounded by the temple. The temple has always been a special place for me because back home, I remember we had to travel a long time to go see the temple. And it was one of those trips we were really excited for as kids with our parents to really wear white and go into a very quiet environment and really kneel down and like pray to God. So the second topic we're gonna to discuss today is Malachi's prophecies are being fulfilled in the latter days. Sean, you wanna kinda of catch us up and uh, give us some background to this topic? Sure, so I'll start by reading in chapter three. Let's do verse two, verses two and three. But who may abide the day of his coming? And so notice this has this last days kind of a feel. And who shall stand when he appeareth? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He's gonna come to cleanse you. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi. And then look at the end of that verse. They are going to offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, okay? And then let's go to Doctrine and Covenants 128, verse 24. Behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand. Who can abide the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appeareth? For he is like, and this is gonna sound familiar from what we just read, like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi um, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And then he's gonna interpret that for us. Let us therefore, this is Joseph Smith speaking, as a church and a people and as Latter-day Saints offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let us present in his holy temple when it is finished a book containing the records of our dead which shall be worthy of all acceptation. And so you get the book of remembrance, you get the offering in righteousness, and then this concept of the hearts of the fathers turning to the children, the hearts of the children turning to the fathers uh, in, in really beautiful ways being fulfilled in the latter days. So the translation, like how would you modernize some of those terms as to the prophecies that are, uh, that are given and how they're being fulfilled today? Well, I think, you know, the sons of Levi are us. It's the men and women of the, who made covenants with the Lord because the Lord had made a covenant with Levi. So it's us. So he's gonna like uh, metallurgist, he's gonna cleanse us and get the silver out of us, the very best out of us okay. to get the dross away. He's gonna, it's, it's also uh, the fuller soap to make the clothing the cleanest as possible. So we're gonna go through mortality. We're gonna have these challenges. We're gonna have uh, opportunities to grow and learn. And then when we're there, we can then present the offering that the Levites at the time were not presenting in righteousness. We're gonna be able to present it, but it's a book. It's the book of our dead. We come to the temple, but it's not just the dead. It's also us. Our names are in the book of life. Okay, when we nice. go to the temple to receive our own ordinances, our, our washings, our anointings, our endowments, our sealings, 
were recorded in that book, and then we come back again. That's the beauty of modern temple worship, is that we can come back again and do the ordinance on behalf of others. So it's not just me doing the ordinance, it's all the good people, members, non-members, less active, doesn't matter, who are, have the spirit of Elijah to do this genealogical work, this family history, so there are names, and then the patrons who go, and, and then the, the young man who uh, pays his tithes or offerings that helps build a temple. The whole world, is, God is not just the God of Israel, he's the God of the whole earth, and the whole world is coming together. Why? To make this God's family. All connected, all sealed, all brought home safely, and the temple is the key. For those that may be watching who don't understand the idea of temple work for the dead, let, let me just say a word about this. This is, Richard's talking about gathering the human family, and then this gathers the human family across time. And one of the things that we're doing is we learn about our ancestors in ways that strengthen us, right? And, and across those generations, we can be connected to them. And we believe they're just as real and alive as we are, just beyond the veil, right? And, and so they can strengthen us in that work and, and help heal us. And then we, t we devote time to take their names into the holy temple and we act out these covenantal behaviors of holiness with their name and we honor that there was a life lived here, a person, a child of God with deep value and we rem the project is to remember those that the world has forgotten, to honor them and to be connected with them. This is a project that heals us, that is designed to heal the world and to bring us into a, a state of unity across time and across space. This is a beautiful and powerful work that, is, that will really change us as we engage in it. And you know, we've talked about this you know, in the previous uh, topic about the healing in his wings that is manifest through, through this uh, prophecy as well of turning the hearts of the children to their fathers. What Sean said about they're, they're, they're just as real of us, and, and, and that's true. They're even more alive than us mm. because we're mortals. We struggle right. with health issues and all kinds of problems. They're more alive and they're anxious and, and they've, they've discovered they are a child or daughter of God and that they're part of his family. And for some people, this is, this is a new realization. They didn't know who they were. They're questioning their identity. Who am I? What am I doing here? And so this great work that's happening now is a fulfillment of Malachi to the letter, you know. We need this unity, Malachi promises, of bringing the hearts of the fathers and children together to make this united family. Mm. I love hearing experiences about, you know, what the temple does for the individual. And so I would love to come back to the audience and, and just hear from you on how has the temple brought unity or healing within your family? Robin. Um, I raised two kids on my own, and uh, there was a time that my daughter made a choice that I don't, I didn't feel comfortable with. And um, from the time she got home very late at night to the time that I knew the temple was open, I couldn't get to the temple fast enough. And I, when I got there, I brought my concern of this situation to the Lord, and I can honestly say that I felt the Savior. And I, as loud as I'm talking to you now, I swear to you, I heard him say, everything will be fine. And what has that done for your, your testimony and for your relationship with your daughter? Well, you know, you want, you want to have 
that close relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the next greatest thing that could ever happen is to have a great relationship with your Savior. And how it's formed our um, my relationship, I was open with my daughter and I talked to her and um, my son heard the what we talked about and they still reference that experience in their life now. And it brought us a lot closer. I love that. Um, Sean, please. So, I mean, connect to those two. The son of righteousness arose with healing in his wings and it turned the heart of a mother to her daughter and the heart of a daughter and a son to the mother. And that happened in uh, a temple. beautiful the way we see these prophecies and promises fulfilled in real lives today. Thank you. you. Some some Jewish scholars have said that the temple is the kingdom of silence. And I thought that's really interesting. You know, we don't go to the temple to give us our bear our testimony. We don't go to give a talk. We go to listen. And we're especially anointed to listen for the for these messages. So we go to the temple as a place of meditation, a place of prayer, a place of yearning. And there in that kingdom of silence, we hear God. But we can go there in this place and and be still and know that God is. And it's a special place because everywhere else, there's so much noise distraction. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Colin. Yeah, I think for me, I'm a knucklehead. I do a pretty good job of messing up, right, making mistakes. <laughs> and uh, whenever I go to the temple, there's just a feeling of peace that I get, especially once I get to that celestial room. Um, you know, I, I haven't received a whole lot of revelation in the temple, like on questions concerning my major or concerning marriage or dating or whatever. But without a doubt, like I always feel the Savior's love and I always feel the peace that that comes that I can I can handle life's challenges that I can overcome these things and so I definitely feel that promise being fulfilled. Now, what does that what does that feel like? That peace that you talked about. What is that feeling for you? Yeah, I mean, I think in our daily lives we just have so much going on that it's hard to just like sit still. You know, uh-huh. we either are on our phones or we're like in class or we're at work or we're watching sports or something. <laughs> and I think it's just a time in the temple where we're able just to sit, relax, and like just feel the spirit. And I, you know, for me, I usually just feel it in my chest, just that warm feeling, the Savior telling me like, hey, it's okay, I got you. Like, I'm gonna help you get through all this. Great, thank you so much for sharing that. It's great how you can feel that, that peace that comes there. Thanks, Colin. As we talk about um, Malachi and his prophecy, we really see through some of these experiences how that prophecy is being fulfilled, that our hearts are turning, not only to our ancestors, but to our own families here and now. President Faust has a wonderful quote that just speaks of of the power that comes through uh, this promise that Elijah speaks of. He says, perhaps we regard the power bestowed by Elijah as something associated only with formal ordinances performed in sacred places. But these ordinances become dynamic and productive of good only as they reveal themselves in our daily lives. The sealing power thus reveals itself in family relationships, in attributes and virtues developed in a nurturing environment and in loving service. These are the cords that bind families together and the priesthood advances their development. Mm. What a beautiful quote that really just... You know, 
speaks so well to this prophecy that Malachi gives. Any last thoughts before we yeah, close I, up this I re- topic? I really like what President Faust said there. It's, so, it's not so much of going to the temple, but it's becoming the kind of person that responds to the Lord's promptings with the spirit of Elijah. That I, I, I go to the temple, yes, to do the work, but it's really about becoming so that when I leave the temple, I'm thinking about others. Oh, I'm thinking man. about family. And I'm, and I'm assisting God in fulfilling his prophecies about the latter days. Thank you. Sean? There's this image in Isaiah where he says, in the last days, there's going to be the mountain of the Lord's house built at the top of the mountains, and all nations shall flow unto it. <laughs> and that word to flow is the same word as river, but it's, it's turned into a verb, naharu. It's going to, and, and so then you think about it, well, this river is flowing upwards miraculously against gravity. And to me, this idea of the kingdom of silence, right, and this idea that when we, when we do temple work, we're going against the gravity of the world, this noisy place where we're constantly plugged in when we do things because it, it benefits us in some way. And now I get up at 4.30 from time to time, at 4.30 a.m. with my teenagers, and we go do baptisms for the dead, and the world is, that's against gravity. And particularly when I tell my friends, and we don't drink coffee, and they're like, what? <laughs> it's impossible. Uh, and, and then we get to the temple, and all these car lights are going at 5 a.m. And the room is full of young people, of teenagers, and they're serving people who they can't see. They're serving the Lord, and that changes you. And then you go out into a world and your motivations are different, Mm -hmm. right? You serve for different kinds of reasons. There's so much that changes us and our relationships with others as we take time to, to be changed by those kinds of attitudes and behaviors. You know, I'm, I'm real excited to to dive more into Malachi and footnotes, uh, but thank you, audience, for, mm-hmm. for your comments and your experience that, you, that you've shared as we've talked about our second discussion topic, Malachi's prophecies are being fulfilled in the latter days. The Spirit really reminded me today how important it is to be um, engaged and actively listening to what the Spirit wants you to do and how to love others and to be aware of what's happening in the world and how I can bring about the gospel. So the Spirit today taught me about the importance of love for ourselves, but also loving others around us, to love others as the way that Christ sees them, and the importance of gathering of Israel and gathering everyone around us to bring them back to the fold and to be in His presence once again. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. Uh, we've got a lot. We've talked about some really good things, and uh, but there's still so much just rich material uh, to cover with Malachi. So, uh, Sean, where, where do you want to start? So we thought it would be nice to talk about this right here at the tail end uh, where this, there's this prophecy that Elijah is going to return. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this becomes very important, and there are actually multiple fulfillments of this prophecy. And, and it's important in the, the Jewish understanding of, of the things which will come as well. So we, we can go to the New Testament and Mount of Transfiguration. And of course, Elijah was translated, right? And so this, there, this makes sense that this is who Malachi is pointing to and referring to. So lo and behold, Mount of Transfiguration happens. And who shows up? Elijah does, right? It, it's uh, Matthew 
is one of the places. Matthew chapter 17, verse three. Behold, there appeared unto them. And, and who are they? Well, the two figures that were translated in the Old Testament. Moses, we don't have a clear record of his death, right? And this, this also was this understanding that he's, Moses is gonna return and Elijah is gonna return. We get the very clear prophecy, of course, in Malachi. Well, you know, this, this passage that uh, Sean's talking about here in Matthew, we have several accounts in the uh, Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about the Transfiguration, an allusion maybe in John and in Peter's writings. But uh, the controversy is, who has the right to interpret Torah? So the Jews at, at this time had a threefold division of Scripture, kind of like we have Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Program Price. They had three, and one is the Torah, the five books of Moses, the prophets who are making commentary on the Torah, okay. like Isaiah, etc. The Nevi'im. And, and then the writings, the Ketuvim, the writings, the Book of Psalms and stuff. So Moses represents that, that Torah, that law, that's just essential, bedrock, uh, of, the, of the Jewish faith. And then Elijah represents the prophets who are giving commentary, who tell us how to live that law. And so they both appear here, and then th notice what happens as, they, uh, as they're done. And behold, there appeared unto them, we're in verse three, Moses and Elias, which is the Greek form of Elijah, the Hebrew name, talking with him. So the representatives of, the, of the, the, the law of Moses and the prophets are there with Jesus. But then what happens in verse five is a bright cloud overshadows them, representing the, the cloud that, that led the children of Israel. So it's the presence of the Lord and, uh, or the Shekinah. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard they fell on their feet and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. So this is a critical moment where you've got the wrong question. This isn't about who has the right to interpret the Torah, the law. Jesus is above the Torah, above the prophets. He's my son. Listen to him. So even though Elijah is so critical, we're learning something. God's son is superior to Torah and to the scriptures. He's the one who has the words of eternal life. And so Elijah plays a critical role in teaching the apostles. I got to change my question. I've got to listen to the son. I love that. That's really powerful. We're going to talk about the preparer of the way, but Elijah comes before Christ comes, right? Uh, and so he's gonna prepare the way and, and point towards, right? And the idea is this, is, this is wonderful what we have here, and now look to the Son of God, yeah. right? It's, you know, this Elijah kind of becomes almost mythical. Yeah. You know, he's coming back again. And so you can imagine year after year, decade after decade, millennial after millennial, Jews are expecting, waiting for it. And today there's a really great tradition in the, in the Hebrews, uh, in the Jewish Passover, the Seder dinner of a special story. Maybe you can share with them what happens. Well, I, I've got a fun story with this. We were, when I was doing Hebrew studies, studying that in uh, Austin, Texas, we were invited to a Jewish uh, Seder, Jewish Passover meal, and it came time. They set an empty space for Elijah. Be, in connection with this, Elijah's going to return, and this tradition grows up, he's gonna return around Passover season, or on Passover. And so there's this empty place. I've seen one Seder where the rabbi sort of 
knocked the table. He's like, oh, Elijah's drinking, you know, and they just have some fun with it. And then this one, the idea is you go open the door to let Elijah in. They're like, who should open the door? It's nice when a child, and they looked around and the only one was uh, our son. They're like, well, let the goy do it. Let the Gentile do it. <laughs> and so this goy, this Gentile, you know, goes and opens the door for Elijah at this Passover Seder. And this, there's this sort of pause where you create space and, and you're sort of, in, in the Jewish tradition, they're recognizing there's, there's some things that are coming, right? And so it's this really beautiful witness that, hey, we believe in the prophets and we believe they're still gonna come to pass in our day. Well, uh, I think most Latter-day Saints are familiar with this idea that it's right at Passover season, of course, when it's April 3rd, um, and, and it's Easter, but uh, it's Passover season uh, when Elijah returns and comes to the Kirtland Temple. And, and it's so this beautiful connection with this expectation fulfilled. And what does he do? He brings back keys that will help prepare a world for the coming of the Son of God, right? He's, he prepares the way with power, right? Uh, and brings back tools that are needed so that then we can be prepared. And, and so it's nice to see him, Mount of Transfiguration, doing it. I, I say it's nice, that's a silly <laughs> word, right? But it's beautiful to see him doing that on the Mount of Transfiguration, preparing for the Son of God and then doing it in our day preparing our hearts so that the world, we can help prepare a world for Which the return of fulfilling Malachi's of prophecy. Yeah, right that's here. right. We yeah, talked about right. earlier. Yeah. Joseph refers to it in a discourse uh, given uh, by the prophet Joseph Smith. He said, why does Elijah have to come back? Because he has to come back to, to restore the key for all the ordinances. Otherwise, the offering couldn't be made in righteousness. Yeah. So back again in Malachi. I mean, the restoration is just swimming in Malachi. It's everywhere. It, it, it is everywhere. I mean, we could have gone to Doctrine and Covenants 2. We could have gone to Doctrine and Covenants 13. But you just get this uh, over and over again. And, and it sort of binds or ties all of this together. And it's about unity. It's about community. It fits so well with this great uh, project of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that Joseph Smith, through Revelation, sort of poured out upon the heads of the saints. And here we are with a modern-day prophet continuing to um, encourage us. And through, and, and gathering, gathering, right? Yeah, you know, just the idea, yes. this is how we gather Israel is through, you know, temple work on both sides of the veil. You know, what's really interesting is it's not just Latter-day Saints who understand something's going on. Just recently, the leader of the... NAACP, I'm yeah, guessing, right? Yeah, he yeah. just did an op-ed in a major newspaper, and he said, the Latter-day Saints actually have the model how to reconcile, how to make peace in a community. And I think it's very interesting, somebody from outside realizes yeah. that's what we're trying to do. Not just through the temporal help of welfare and fast offerings and all the other things we're doing to make the world a better place, through building universities and, uh, and, and educating people and religious education like you're in, and all these wonderful things that we're doing to help people. But there is something about this community who's trying hard. We, we don't always rise to the level of our mm -hmm. callings, you know, the discipleship that Jesus requires of us. But in attempting, we're becoming better. And as a result, we actually are seeing the fulfillment of Elijah who's binding, sealing, reconciling, unifying God's children one to another. And it has nothing to do with religion, ethnicity, or gender. It's we, we have this free will offering to help those around us. I love that. I gotta, as you know, I like to go to Isaiah from time to time. And so let, let, just for a moment, this beautiful verse uh, in Isaiah chapter 56, verse five, where he's saying, those 
who have been marginalized and on the outside in the past. So he's gonna talk, starting in verse three, he talks about, let the eunuch not say, I am a dry tree, the, the one who feels that way. Uh, they're not going to be separated anymore. Those who are willing to come and be part of the covenant. So it's not just, hey, it just goes no matter what. No, you have to come and be part of things. And then he says, even unto them, in verse five, will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. And so notice that sons and daughters, so you got family relationships, you've got those who have been on the outside are being drawn in, and it's not about race, it's not about gender, it's about God loves all of his children. And, and the Hebrew here uh, is Yah, I'm gonna give them a Yad Vashem, right? Yeah. And that's translated a place and a name. Literally, I will give them a hand, the hand of fellowship, the covenant hand, and a name in my holy temple. And I would just add, there is a, a, a beautiful Holocaust Memorial Museum in Israel, and its name is Yad Vashem. Yeah. And in there, they have what is called the Hall of Names. And it's a place where those who have been forgotten, those who died in that incredible tragedy, that terrible tragedy of the Holocaust, they do the research and they bring their names and their genealogical history and it's recorded and they bring it in and I'm gonna give a place for them to be honored, to be, I'm bringing those names to be remembered. Mm -hmm. And I would say this, this is mirrored to a certain degree with our, our project. No, we're not going to forget all of the lives of value. And we're not just oriented on modernity, we're, we're spanning space and we're spanning time to honor yeah. the goodness of God's children and to bring them in. You know, I, I like this passage in Malachi chapter three, uh, verse five mm -hmm. that uh, Sean alluded to, where he talks about, you know, the Lord's going to uh, judge those and particularly look at the last part of the verse, that oppress the hireling, meaning the employees, uh, uh, in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and turn aside the stranger. And you think about, is this relevant? Man, this is frontline newspaper right now. Yeah. What are we doing wow. about giving people, helping people who are struggling? What are we doing about those who are lonely, the widows? What are we doing with the the, the, the fatherless. And fatherless isn't just a six-year-old without a father. It can be a seven-year-old who doesn't have a father. The fatherless are those who don't mm, know where to turn nice. for help. And also the stranger, meaning the person who's moved to your country who wasn't born there. And, and so to me, this is relevant. The Lord is calling into question, what are you doing? You're, as to be a moral people, to become the people I want you to become, to purify you, I need to see you do something. Are there some things um, that the church is doing on a, a kind of a broad scale that alludes to what you're talking about that we can then take, you know, and on a micro level and try to implement? Oh, this, this is so good. Mm -hmm. One of my assignments in Salt Lake City was to work with the Homeless Challenge, which downtown Salt Lake is like LA or New York City mm -hmm. or Seattle, we have major problems. And I went around and visited all the shelters and I tried to figure out what was going on. And we, I mean, I just, I learned so much about the challenges we face. And one of the things that really brought literal righteous pride to me was to see what the church is doing. And then I just realized besides what they're doing here in Utah to help, it's, it's just a worldwide effort. So the Lord is reaching out. I mean, think about, think about um, 
some people who, who, who may have felt marginalized. And you have President Ballard's prophetic talk that he gave in conference, Hope in Christ, which he said the gospel's for everyone. It isn't just for married people and traditional family situation. It's for everyone. We can be more inclusive. Think of President Oaks and President uh, Nelson calling for the end of racism, the rain, end of bigotry, uh, ultranationalism, I think is a word that President Ballard used. And so we see these great prophetic vi voices. Why, why is Malachi Malachi and not President Nelson? Because Malachi came first. But he is a Malachi. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to tie that back with this idea of bringing them in. This, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the fathers, and bringing all of these people into a community. Sometimes I think there are those who feel like, well, this is a church for families. It's, it's families, and we obviously care a lot about the families, but it's a church to create family. For the fa who comes to that church, the family less do, because this is where your family is, right? And to create a family, and we all support each other as one giant family, and then it breaks down, in a sense, some of those cultural boundaries and said, nope, you're my brother, and you're my sister. And, and I'm not saying we're, we're perfect at this, we've got a lot of work to do, you know, but, but it is beautiful to see the efforts that are going forth. And then, let, let me then take us to verse 17. It's this really nice, that we've talked about a book of remembrance in verse 16, or Malachi has, mm -hmm. and then look at this, we didn't talk about it uh, in, in the main part, so let's do it here. And they shall be mine, right? They're, you're part of something. You're part of a family relationship. Saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So this, this uh, word jewels is segulot or segula in the singular. It's a Hebrew word that means a treasured possession. It's a, it's, a, it's a unique or a peculiar treasure. And it's the same word that in Exodus 19, it shows up in Deuteronomy, am segula, a peculiar people, a treasured people. And so what he's saying is to me, who feels inadequate so often to, to the widow, to the one who just thought, well, my dreams have passed me by. I just am not, I'm not the right kind of person, you know? He's saying, you're my jewel, and I, you better feel like my jewel because that's what I'm trying to make you, my treasured possession. I'm so glad you said that. So, you know, I have a son serving a mission in Washington. I love how his view has changed of people like that. You know, he'll, we'll, we'll talk and he'll be telling about the people he's teaching. And we see this with missionaries all over. Their perspective changes as they're teaching a specific people. They see them in a different light. So how as members of the church can we see the jewel that lies within, the jewels that are out there as our Heavenly Father sees them? What are some of the things that we can do to help those that may not feel as special or as jewels? How can we help them feel the way their Heavenly Father feels about them? Well, I think as we read the scriptures, we see this over and over again. If we'll just look, the Lord is concerned about those who are lonely, those who are struggling, those who've had problems. And that reminds us, I mean, this, this, these passages here in Malachi, you know, I mean, they just, they cause me to think, now, how am I doing here? I mean, I don't wanna be the person judged that Malachi's talking about. So what am I doing? Who am I? And of course, it starts crossing my mind. Who's lonely? Who, who might be, uh, uh, somebody who's working, who's just brand new to this country, who maybe doesn't feel quite welcomed yet. 
So there's lots of opportunities as I think about it. And so the first thing is keep reading your scriptures because you can't help it. You'll come across these passages that will force you to think. Stop reading your scriptures. You won't think about this. Well, this is sort of funny that we're both gonna go to what we might typically think of as primary answers because there's power in these. And, and I would add, go to church because it's in church. You know, we, we're like, oh, I, I feel the spirit at home. I just wanna, you know, do my own thing. And, but go to church and interact with people who are different than you and that are sometimes maybe a little frustrating and that see the world a little differently than you. And don't pull out and create your own little community that's just like you. I don't think that's what we're going for and it's easier in our, in our world to sort of just, I'm gonna find all the people that see the world exactly the same way as I do and on I'm just Facebook gonna connect with them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go to church and you're gonna find somebody who's politically different than you and who is, has a different worldview than you do and comes from a different socioeconomic background and then love them and connect with them. Well, this, is, this has made me realize I gotta do some more studying, <laughs> but this is <laughs> fascinating. Uh, you guys have offered some great insights. You know, as we you know, are, are wrapping up the Old Testament, um, I would just love to get some final thoughts. Uh, Sean, give us some final thoughts on the Old Testament, just the impact that it has had on you and how it can lead us to Christ. So, you know, someone who studied Hebrew Bible, uh, part of my PhD work, um, there I feel a real affinity to the Hebrew Bible, to the Old Testament. Uh, we, as Latter-day Saints, would look completely different if we did not have that canon, that strength, that foundation that begins in antiquity. And then, as Joseph Smith taught very clearly, just this unified program of God running from beginning to end. And so if you cut that off and you eliminate half of that program, how do you make sense of the storyline? How do you make sense of what's going on? And when you see what the Hebrew prophets were, were encouraging, they're prophesying of a Messiah in the future, and they are encouraging people that this needs to matter in the soul, right? This is not about just the little things you do. You need to see others and you need to be devoted to God because he is devoted to you. Uh, it changes me. I, I, I've said before, uh, I, as you know, I love Isaiah and I've learned more about the nature of God from the teachings of Joseph Smith and from Isaiah than I have from anywhere else. And they've encouraged me that God loves me and that I can seek to, to return to him and that he will be willing to reveal himself to me in his own way and in his own time. And it's changed me. The Old Testament has changed who I am. Thank you, Sean. Richard, I noticed uh, there's been a couple of times throughout this episode that there's been a certain reverence as you've uh, spoken specifically about some of the, reg uh, the revelations and scriptures pertaining to Jesus Christ. Um, you've put so much work and effort into the scriptures. Would you mind just sharing with us how that has strengthened your testimony and just your personal relationship with the Savior? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Let me let me just start off with one point. First of all, I think it's important for us. You know, the reason the the, the part of the curriculum has been the Old Testament is because it's relevant. I mean, the whole idea in Western democracy is the rule of law that no one's above the law. Only in this ancient Near East text, only in this one, do you have a prophet called the king, David, into question. So our whole worldview of that no one's above the law comes straight from the Hebrew Bible. That's one of the great gifts to us. And of course, it's the only literature still being read as a religious document from the past. So it's had this long lasting significance in the world. The third is a little bit of holy envy. 
is this not coveting, it's not breaking the Ten Commandments, to have a little holy envy of someone else's religious faith. And so as I study the Old Testament and then watch modern Jews try to practice, try to live it, uh, I have a little holy envy. I love how they love the Torah, how they, how, how they read it and how they try to apply it. And, and that makes me want to be a better Latter-day Saint. But more importantly is the God who spoke to Moses, who sent his messenger, Malachi, is the God who still speaks today. And of all people, we know the prophets, not because we read about dead prophets whose stories are preserved on dead trees, paper, because they walk among us. So this is the living reality. Uh, you know, working in church, in, in, in church headquarters, obviously, like everyone else, we see them a little, maybe more than most, mm -hmm. because they're there, we're working, we're in meetings with them. Uh, but I had a recent experience. We, we've, had a, a, we've had a family struggle, a personal struggle that, in our family that's really caused us a lot of uh, concern and worry and uh, been on our knees and praying and fasting and all kinds of things. And I happened to walk in to be uh, in a room where President Nelson was. It wasn't a planned meeting. There were other people there. And he came over and he just grabbed my hand with both his hands and he just... He just held on to him and he looked in my eye and he said, Richard, I love you. Now, this man knows a million names. I'm not special. I mean, you know, he's just an amazing prophet with incredible memory. But just his looking into his eyes and holding my hand saying, we love you. I don't know if he knows about the challenge in my family. So the Hebrew Bible is lived today among the Latter-day Saints. So that's why it's so fresh. That's so, it's so wonderful. And it's Sean's comments today in the, in the audience. I mean, oh, mm -hmm. this is yeah. a living, breathing document. Why would we not want to study it? Why would we not want to embrace it? And, and maybe we shouldn't let four years go by to read it again. Yeah. The book of Psalms can give so much comfort to mm -hmm. us at special times. Let's not wait four years. Yes, we have our focus, our curriculum, but this book breathes with God's love. You know, and it really just ties into, you know, one of the topics we talk about today, that God really does love us. And as we head into this Christmas season, I mean, what a great manifestation of his love and sending his, his son uh, for us. So thank you for your comments. You know, and I just want to add my testimony to yours of just the Old Testament points us to Jesus Christ. And this is what it's all about. You know, as we sit here and we talk, our goal is to help others come unto him. And I just want to thank you for your comments on that. As we talk about our, um, our two topics for today, wherein hast thou loved us and Malachi's prophecies are being fulfilled in the latter days. And thank you all for joining us at home. We want to constantly remind you and invite you to follow through on any prompting you may have received uh, from the Holy Ghost as we've studied the Old Testament this year. And please join us next week for a special Christmas edition of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.